The church is an outdated institution that has no place in the modern world. In 2020, what need do we have for a big conglomerate that causes so much pain, that's caused so much abuse to people throughout history, that's been complicit in horrible crimes and scandals? What use do we have for an organisation that does so much harm and so little good in our world? What use do we have for a thing that claims to help us follow God and we can just read our Bibles, listen to Bethel music on Spotify and just do the God stuff alone? What's the point of being part of a people of God when all it does is cause me frustration? When all it does is cause me pain and upset? When all it does is say things to me that I don't want to hear? Point out things in my life that I don't want anyone to know about? Tell me things in my friends' lives that they don't want to know about? What is the point of the church in 2020? The chances are you've probably felt those feelings. You've probably thought those thoughts. You've probably heard someone say something like that to you over a coffee, over a pint, uh, whilst you're hanging out with your mates or your family. The chances are you've probably heard someone lose their hope in the church. You've probably heard of someone who's been hurt by the church in the past. You've probably heard of someone who's been caused so much discomfort and pain and suffering just by being in a church service. Maybe you yourself have sat in the pews or in the chairs and thought, this is making me feel so bad about myself. Maybe you've lost hope in the people of God. Maybe you've lost hope in the capacity of a people claiming to follow a good God, but doing such horrible and mean things in your eyes. I believe that we need to restore our hope in the church. We need to restore, first of all, our hope as the church before we can even begin to tell our world about why church is a good place. We need to go back to the beginning. We need to hear the stories of scripture and we need to understand what the purpose is for even us being a people together. Why shouldn't we just do it all by ourselves? Why do we need to do this together? Today we're looking at Nehemiah 3. On the, on the surface it just looks like a, the original yellow pages. It's a list full of long names. It's a GDPR compliant database to be used for marketing, segmentation and targeting. And it might look just like a boring list of names. It might be something that if you've done the Bible in a Year Challenge as a Christian, if you've probably just skipped through this chapter, you've probably struggled to pronounce your Ilya Shabs and your Hananias. But I think that Nehemiah 3 is a beautiful picture of what the church can be, of what the church should be. And for us today, we need to restore our hope in the church. We need to restore our hope in the people of God working together behind a common purpose. And this passage is a great place for us to start. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all out, but it is helpful to have it open in front of you, maybe on a Bible, maybe on your phone app as you watch this. And we're going to dig out a few things that we see in this passage. It will help us understand what is the point of the church in 2020. This list of people that we read of, that kind of that disconnected, disentangled, random bunch of people, there's a real reason for them being together. There's a real purpose that they share, led by Nehemiah, who we heard about in the last few weeks, if you've joined G2 Online, as a leader of the people, as a cupbearer who's left a foreign land and returned to the, to the nation of his, his ancestors and has resolved to build the city, resolved to gather his nation, Israel, to rebuild the broken walls of their holy city, Jerusalem. He's an extraordinary guy who first focuses in prayer, then shows boldness in speaking to his king, and then he leads a life of encouragement in how he speaks to his fellow Israelites. And today we see him building the walls. We see him doing the thing that he came here to do. This chapter, Nehemiah 3, is the main event of the Ezra-Nehemiah narrative in the Old Testament. It's the highlights reel of where the stuff actually gets done. 
It's not glamorous, it's not particularly pretty, but if it wasn't for this, there wouldn't be a Jerusalem for them to enjoy, the people of Israel. When we come to this chapter, and we understand that that's the context, we understand that this is the moment of collaboration for the people of God. This is their moment of united purpose. We can see that this isn't just the latest project management database for Nehemiah Incorporated, but this is a renovation job that speaks of the enormous potential for when God's people work together to bring hope and build a better future. So what encouragements and lessons can you and I take from Nehemiah 3? How can a building job 2,500 years ago help give us hope for our church, help give us hope for the church's role in 2020 and the world around us? See, it's worth noting that the people of God that we read about in Nehemiah, the nation of Israel, that's our story. That's part of our legacy, part of our history as the church. The Old Testament, uh, the first kind of two thirds of the Bible, focuses on the nation of Israel as God's people. But we know from understanding the Bible, from reading into the New Testament, particularly Romans, uh, that the, the church is now the people of God. They've kind of taken that role on. So while the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, Bible nerds, you're going to love this bit. Everyone else, stay with me. I promise it's useful. I promise it's helpful. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the original word used throughout it to describe Israel uh, when they gathered together is kahal, which literally means an assembly. It's a gathered company of people, it's a congregation, and that's used a few times in the book of Nehemiah. Whereas in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, stay with me, the word for church is ecclesia, which can understood to be an assembly of people or a gathering, a summoned group or a people who are called out. So in simplified terms, this word ecclesia is like the new version of kahal. It kind of replaces it, if you like, it supersedes it, so to speak. And I think for us, we can understand that we as the church are a continuation of the people of God. We are the ecclesia now. We are this called out people. It's passed from the nation of Israel, from the renovation crew of Nehemiah, to the church that is now united across nationality, race and ethnicity through Jesus. The church that we read about in the New Testament of incredible stories of salvations and healings and miracles and that we see all around us in the world today in all its brokenness and all its beauty, in all its pain and all its glory, in all its brilliant works reaching the community and all its really difficult imagery that we see of people condemning others and being in places of judgment against those outside of the church. So this passage of names in Nehemiah 3, this list of builders, uh, has enormous relevance for us as a church, as G2, because it is, a, is our historical foundation. And it's a tradition in which we are gathered now as a people, even virtually, even online, wherever we are right now. We are the Ecclesia. We are called out by God. And as G2, we may feel like we're just one small church in a small city in the north of England, but we are the local expression of the whole worldwide church, the people of God throughout all of human history. We're not isolated as individuals. We're part of this lovely little local church. And we're not isolated as a lovely little local church. We're part of a bigger mission. We're part of a bigger purpose that is found in the church all across our world. We're not isolated as a church, but we stand in solidarity, don't we, with our brothers and sisters, Christians from York to Tehran, from Los Angeles to New Delhi, from Cairo to Sao Paulo, from Sydney to Rome. We are the church. And in Nehemiah 3, we read of this extraordinary list of the grafters of God, 
Rude of perfumers and priests, goldsmiths and soldiers who pulled their sleeves up and got to work rebuilding the ruins of their city. Under the leadership of Nehemiah, who set the example himself, like I said earlier, seeking God in prayer, going before the king in boldness, rallying people with encouragement, with optimism, with hope, speaking life over the ruined desolation that was the holy city of Jerusalem. You see, we too today are the grafters of God. And to my knowledge as a church, we don't have any perfumers or priests, goldsmiths or jewellers, but we do have government officials, managers, students and teachers. And we're in the business of building. Unlike Nehemiah, we might not be building physical walls. We might not be getting out the bricks in the mortar and going to work tomorrow morning to build some bricks and do all that stuff. I don't really understand, as you might have guessed. Unlike this ragtag bunch of myriad skilled workers who are practical workers, who are government officials, who are priests, who are holy people, a whole different bunch of professions and skills there. We're not building in spite of limited physical skills. We're not building something that is, that is going to have a legacy in the physical sense. We are building something that will have a legacy in the spiritual sense. We are building together in the strength of Jesus. Let me read to you from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And he's particularly speaking to these people that weren't Jews. They weren't part of the kind of tradition of Israel, the people of God, as we heard about earlier. But they were still able to receive the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus that brings transformation to lives. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, because of his triumph over death, his resurrection, his victory, they are now able to be called the people of God and part of the church. And this is a crucial passage for us in understanding our shared purpose with that renovation crew of Nehemiah 3, and understanding what it means for us as G2 to be church. It's Ephesians 2, 17 to 22. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both, Jews and non-Jews, have access to the Father by the same one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and you are members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a beautiful passage of scripture. What a brilliant vision it is to understand the church today built on the foundation, the foundational cornerstone of Jesus that he is the centre of our church. He is the foundation of all that we do. If it isn't for him, we're just a bunch of randoms gathering together online and YouTube and Zoom. And what's the point of us existing if it's not for Jesus? We're united by our love for him. We're united by our passion for him. We're united by our heart for him. We're united by what he's done in our lives, but the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what it's all about, isn't it, G2? That's what we've got to absolutely love proclaiming to one another and sharing with the people out there that have yet to join a live stream, that have yet to join a G2 group, that have yet to be a part of this incredible story that God is writing in our city. Ephesians 2 is a beautiful passage of scripture. And I, if, if you'll let me, I just want to read it to you from the Passion Translation paraphrase. The last few verses of that passage say this, verse 20 to 22. You are rising, G2, like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. And best of all, 
you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building, the anointed one, Jesus himself. The entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the Holy Spirit living in you. Wow, that sounds good, doesn't it? We are being built together in this living, active way, becoming more and more the church, more and more that holy of holies, that temple of God, that living, breathing organism, just by being church together, by being united through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, through the reading of scripture, through the singing of songs, through the conversations we have, through the community we have as church. All of that is bringing glory to Jesus. All of that is deepening the world's knowledge of who he is. What an extraordinary responsibility and legacy that leaves us. And there's a pivot here, isn't there, for the people of God. From that story in Nehemiah of an isolated nation that was building walls of their broken city. And now we read of the church. That through Jesus' unifying work of uh, conquering death and division on the cross. That is now partnered up. Building together. Building a church that is open to anyone and everyone. That goes beyond the four walls of buildings. That goes beyond the virtual space. That goes beyond the defining barriers of race and ethnicity and nationality and class. The church is open to anyone and everyone. And that's our joy and our, I would say our passion, our proclamation. It's our joy to proclaim that. It's our duty to proclaim that. It's exciting to proclaim that. We lose our words, we stumble over ourselves to proclaim that. The church is open to anyone and everyone. The hope of Jesus is open to anyone and everyone. And we've got to keep banging the drum for that. We've got to keep standing out on the rooftops of our households and our news feeds and proclaiming that the good news of Jesus is for everyone. And if you haven't got it by now, I really hope you get it. The church is the plan A, B, C, D, all the way through to Z. There's nothing else that Jesus wants to partner with apart from his church, his beautiful bride. That's you. That's me. We're the church together. We've been built together by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the hope of Jesus. One extraordinary privilege that is for us. And we are this dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit is living and active in us. And the church, I would say, first and foremost, exists for the glory and presence of God to be present in. The church exists to worship God and proclaim his name. When we're united in that place, united in that common pursuit of Jesus and that praise of Jesus, then we realise that we're together. Then we can serve one another because we've got that commonality through worshipping Jesus. So we start with our worship to Jesus. We go to our community together and then we proclaim the message of Jesus to the world around us. We look out to the world around us when we're united for our worship of Jesus and trusting in his mighty works. Like I said, there is no alternative to the church. There's no backup plan. Yes, the church has done some bad things. Let's not pretend it hasn't. Yes, horrible atrocities have been committed in the name of God. But there isn't an alternative, is there? We are the people of God. We are the church. Let's take this mandate seriously. Let's recognise that it is Jesus that is the foundation and the cornerstone on which we are built. It is his Holy Spirit that is alive in us. His Holy Spirit that is bringing conviction, that is bringing truth, that is bringing light and hope to all of us as the church. See, as G2, we're not just a club. We're not just a nice bunch of people with a catchy name that no one really understands. We're a living, breathing temple founded on the cornerstone of Jesus built up as one through the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the hope and life of Jesus to the world around us. And just like the people of God in Nehemiah 3 had a shared purpose in rebuilding their city, 
We too have a shared purpose as G2. And like I said, we're not in the business of bricks and mortar, but no, we're in the business of hope. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we are built together as the church, as we trust in our God and live and breathe in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can carry this message of overflowing hope to all around us. And we've all got a role to play in this, haven't we? As you read earlier in Nehemiah 3, we saw this collection of, on the surface, quite ordinary people. We saw children and craftsmen, market sellers and parents, priests and soldiers, who all of them had nothing that special about them, but were playing their part in an extraordinary restoration job. And if we were to rewrite Nehemiah 3 for G2 today, if I were to list all of your names and your professions, we'd still read as a collection of ordinary people, wouldn't we? We'd still look like a bit of a yellow pages, if you like. On the surface, we would see G2 as a church filled of children, charity workers, retail workers, bar staff, consultants, executives, parents and engineers. And all of that is true. But I believe, G2, that God is still calling us to play our part in an extraordinary restoration job. We're living in a time where despair is around us, where people aren't speaking hope, where people are feeling pessimistic. And rightly so in some cases. There's a middle of a flipping pandemic going on, isn't there? There's a whole bunch of brokenness and hopelessness in our world. And you see, it can be so easy for us to get drawn into that, can't it? It can be so easy for us just to go along with that narrative and just to get sucked into the whirlwind of despair and darkness that we see around us. But G2, I believe that this is the time that we really need to take seriously our calling to be the hope business. You've probably noticed if you've been at G2 the last few months that we've pivoted a bit in our use of language, that we focus a lot on this message of hope. And that's because we have a burning biblical conviction and a strong spiritual passion to see hope proclaimed in our city, our nation and our world. I believe that it is only the hope of Jesus. It is only his transforming love that will change our streets, that will change our campuses, that will change our workplaces, that will change our city, that will change us and those around us. And G2, I want to invite you today that we've got to step up in this. We've got to mature as a church, being built together in Jesus, being built together through the power of the Holy Spirit to step up as the hope business, to be unashamed of proclaiming this, to be unashamed of speaking hope into situations of despair, to be unashamed of bringing life where things feel dead. The world doesn't need your retweets and your Instagram stories and your likes and your your well wishes. The world needs the love of Jesus overflowing from out of you. There's nothing wrong with that activism. There's nothing wrong with that heart to change the world. But if you're doing it by yourself, you're going to crash out in three months time. But if you're doing it in Jesus, if you're doing it in the living hope of the Messiah, You're doing it for eternity. Let's be in the business of hope. Let's be the ones that restore our world through the power of Jesus working in us. Church is frustrating. It's difficult, it's messy and it's painful. But it's real. 
and for us to have a vision for our city and for our world. I believe that we must first have a vision for our church. Like I said, we must step up in maturity before we can share hope far and wide, before we can restore hope to a world around us that's in ruins. We must first live hope deep and real. We must first restore hope together as a church. We've been through a lot of change together. We've been through a lot of confusion and uncertainty and discomfort on Sundays and midweeks uh, throughout this last year. We need to come together in hope. We need to try even harder to share life with one another, to encourage one another, to be honest with one another, to be real with one another, to pray for one another, to speak life over one another, to look past our disagreements and our differences, forgive one another, love one another, and be built more and more into that temple of God, into that living, breathing, holy of holies, where Jesus is our cornerstone and our foundation. Church was never meant to be a place where we just come along and put on a brave face. Where we log into our Zoom calls and log into our YouTube services and we just hide it all away. It's never meant to be somewhere where we just bottle it all up. It's never meant to be a place where we hide our fears and worries and just keep plugging along. Church is a place of gritty grace and tender truth. We're a random bunch of people with little in common except we are united by a good God. We join together in praise to his glory and it is in his power that we overflow with hope. That we overflow with a hope that transforms our lives and transforms the world around us for the better. You see, in a world that feels increasingly faster, harder and more overwhelming than ever before, we can know that it is our community at G2 that is one where we can discover a living hope for today, tomorrow and forever in Jesus Christ, whose love transforms us and helps us all to live differently and discover more from life. We can discover meaning and purpose in the questions and the wrestling that is so welcome at church. We can discover more from life through the conversation and honesty that we share together. We can discover more from life through worshipping our Creator, through worshipping our Saviour, God. And as we come together, even online, even on YouTube and Facebook and Zoom, where it just, just feels a bit weird, doesn't it? Where we can't hug one another and offer to make someone a coffee and share someone a donut. I miss that too, don't worry. But even today, we can come together as one, knowing that as we worship our God, as we dig deeper into the Bible, our beautiful story as the people of God, and as we know more of what it means to be church together, as we share laughter, as we build friendships, we are being built together through Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that it is through your power that we can be your church. It is through your love that we can love one another. It is through your hope that we can have a vision for the world around us. And Jesus, we're done playing the game where we make it too much about us and our brand and our ideas and our names and not enough about you. Jesus, we say that we are in the hope business. We're not in the discouragement business. We're not in the business of tearing one another down or judging people, but we're in the business of hope. And Jesus, we want to proclaim your life, your love, your message of good, your message of peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Holy Spirit, would you build us into your church? Would you build us together as one? 
united in you, united by your sacrifice, Jesus, united by all that you've done for us. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now for everyone watching this, for everyone joining in with G2 online today, wherever they are, whatever time of day it is, whether you're at home, whether you're on the bus, whether you're with your friends, whether you're all alone, I pray, G2, that you would be filled to overflow with the Spirit of God. That the God of all hope would fill you with joy and peace. That you would have a vision for your life a vision for your church and a vision for your world that is saturated with the hope and life of Jesus. So as we worship God together now, we join in with the prayer of the people of God throughout millennium and millennium and millennium. And we say, come Holy Spirit.